0: grab your bibles and your outlines and turn to the book of exodus chapter one exodus chapter one if you don't know where the book of exodus is at there's a pew bible in your uh, pew before you and in the pew racks and if you open up you're going to see the book of genesis right at the beginning of uh, the bible and then the second book of the bible is the book of exodus the book of exodus and uh We're going to be uh, departing for a week out of our series in Malachi uh, to uh, deal with uh, uh, the subject of motherhood and the subject of uh, uh, encouraging and honoring our moms because they have done so much for us. Many of you have heard uh, many of the stories of my exploits as a child. And my mother, of course, is up for sainthood uh, sometime in the next uh, couple of years. She should be coming Saint Michelle Bedal for all that she's done, enduring three children. And then, of course, the uh, three children, for that matter, three boys. And uh, the grace and love that I gave to my wife was giving her three boys as well. So she'll be coming down the, the pipeline for sainthood as well. Well, as I began to think about how we could honor our mothers, I began to think about how much my mother had taught me, how much uh, of importance and experiences that my mom uh, shared with me to teach me how to be uh, the man that I am today. No doubt your uh, mother had that impact on your life as well. And I, I found this on the internet. I thought it was good. What my mother taught me My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done when she said, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside because I just finished cleaning the carpet. My mother taught me religion. You better pray that that comes out of that carpet. I like this one. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm gonna knock you into the middle of next week. I think my mom submitted that one. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why... My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony, not ironing, irony. You just keep laughing, I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. My mother taught me about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? My mother taught me about stamina. You're going to sit here till all that spinach is finished. My mother taught me about the weather. It looks like a tornado has just swept through your room. That one died. I'll take that one out of the list. <laughs> My mother taught me about physics problems. If I yelled because I saw a meteor coming toward me, would you listen then? My mother taught me about hip- hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times, don't exaggerate. (laughs) My mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. (laughs) This one cuts a little deeper than I'd like it to. My mother taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father And of course, our mothers taught us about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have a wonderful mom like you do. Our mothers teach us a lot of things. And I know that's funny and and partly sarcastic, but our moms do teach us things. Our mothers are there nurturing and guiding the very first steps that we have, teaching us the importance of, of words and the importance of manners, the importance of understanding how we are to act in certain situations. And today uh, we go uh, and study a passage of Scripture that speaks of a woman, speaks of a mother who taught her children and teach us something today that wasn't on that list. And what she taught them was sacrifice sacrifice. You know, I learned very early on that my mother has sacrificed a great deal for us as children. My mother gave up of of many things. My mom gave up of her body, having three boys, enduring the pain of pregnancy, the changes that take place in regards to pregnancy with her body, She gave up her comfort as that pregnancy came to an end. And and then everything began to start moving towards labor and enduring that. And then all the different things that come in life that she endured, her comfort was sacrificed. I learned this today, this morning with a newborn. We as parents, and especially moms, sacrifice sleep. My wife didn't get much sleep last night, and my third son made sure everyone in the house was awake and that he know that he was not happy. We sacrifice sleep as moms. Our time, we're running around going here and there, making sure meals are made, making sure papers have been looked over. We make sure that kids are where they need to be. We get uh, parents, uh, Mothers give of their energy. They give of their hobbies. My mom had a dream uh, when I was growing up to be a teacher and she had to put that on hold to raise children until we had grown up before she went back to college to pursue the dream of being a teacher in the school systems. They sacrifice of their dreams and their pursuits. Well, today we meet a woman. We meet a mom who sacrificed. Her name should be the motto of sacrifice when it comes to mothering. We're going to meet her today because she sacrifices not just of her time and of her energy and of her body and of her comfort, but she sacrifices and gives up of her own son to someone else for the greater good of a people and the greater good back to God. So today we salute a woman. And in fact, we salute all women who have had the gift and the wonderful opportunity of being a mom. But before we do that, I know that there are some women out here today who cringe at the very thought of Mother's Day. I know that there are some here today who look and say, you know what, let's not even talk about this, and I have due reason on why I don't want to talk about this. There are some in our midst who, who Mother's Day is a just another constant reminder of their inability to have children. And they see everybody else having all these kids and and all they want is is a child, just one child. Lord, just give me one child. And that inability continues to slap them in the face. And today they sit here and they say, what's so great about Mother's Day? I have no child. The Lord hasn't blessed me with that. And for for those that are sitting there today, I say, give it to God. And I can't tell you uh, that I fully understand the grief that you struggle with in that, but I will tell you, give it to the Lord. Cry out to God. Let God know your desire to have children. Look at every option that is among you in having children and give it to God. I will tell you one thing I do know is that the, having children or not having children is not the supreme pursuit of our lives. It is following God. I say that as well to people who want to be married and who haven't found a spouse. It's not, if you will, the end of the world. It's something huge, and it's a desire that I don't want to diminish. But give it to God and follow Him and obey Him. And let God be God, and you trust Him with that child. The second group of people that I'd like to talk with who maybe struggle with Mother's Day are women who are estranged from their moms or estranged from a child. Maybe you're sitting here today and your mom was not the kind of mom that we're talking about today. Maybe today you're you're thinking back of horrific stories of abuse, of failure in your mother's life. And you sit there and say, I don't want to talk about Mother's Day because it only brings back hurts and pains in my life that I don't want to even deal with here. And my words to you is, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people, the book of Romans says. Pursue restoration. Pursue forgiveness. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard when someone has hurt you and someone has failed you so many times. But on this Mother's Day, don't show love because they deserved your love, but show the love because God loved us and we should also love one another. Pursue that restoration. Pursue that forgiveness. No matter how difficult it may be, because Christ will honor it. The next one is is those who have maybe had a child or maybe were pregnant and maybe uh, the pregnancy came at the wrong time. Maybe it happened in your teenage lives and and it seemed like there was no other option but to terminate the pregnancy. And maybe you're here today and you say, Tim, I don't even wanna talk about mothering because I I, I can't get it beyond my mind. I I made a mistake and, and I can't reverse it. And I will tell you there across the board and in a church this big, All of us have failed. All of us have messed up big time. And maybe there's an abortion in your past and I would say that God's grace and God's mercy is greater than any sin that we commit. And give it to God. In the quietness of your heart, with your broken spirit, say, Lord, I I messed up. Lord, I did something that you told me not to do. And Lord, forgive me and allow me to move beyond the grief to a place of hope. I will give you some hope. It is my greatest belief and my greatest understanding that every child that dies in infancy or even before delivery is with Almighty God. And one day you will be able to see that child face to face. And what a day that will be. What a wonderful reunion that will be. How about those that maybe have given up a child for adoption? Maybe you're sitting there and saying, did I do the right thing? maybe I could have done uh, the raising of a child. And I want to commend you. If you came to a point that you were unsure of what to do, adoption is a wonderful option. We know people even in our own church that have adopted children and what a blessing it is to them to be able to have a child in that way. And I want to encourage you that here is a story today about a woman who gives her child up for adoption and the Bible commends her for her sacrifice, and I commend you as well. It is our prayer, it is our desire that we would be a blessing to our moms this morning. But we know that this day brings very many trials in a person's life. I know that when I go to see my mom this afternoon and we honor her and we bring her the grandchildren, that Mother's Day still won't be right because she is missing one of her children. Many of you know I had a brother that died in a car accident some sixteen years, 17 years ago now. And uh, Mother's Day will never be the same. And for those who have lost a child, and I know there are moms out there who have, who have either lost them in infancy, who have had a uh, miscarriage, and those who have lost children that are older in age, give the grief over to the Lord. And the Lord will bring, just as he did with Job, he will bring uh, you contentment and wholeness in the other things of the world. Never replacing the child that you have. Nothing can replace my mother's grief and love for her oldest son. But I am amazed to see how she has brought my brother's personality, my brother's looks into the lives of my children and in our uh, colloquialisms, if you will, around the table that has enabled my mom to celebrate a day like Mother's Day. So we look to a woman this morning who Mother's Day wouldn't have been fun for her. She would have been a constant reminder of what she gave up instead of what was being given to her. So I want to look at Exodus chapter one. I want to start in verse six and go through chapter into the second chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter one. I'm going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word as we look at this text this morning. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied, sounds like village Bible church, greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they, put, uh, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Now the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shiprah and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live." The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, "Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live?" The midwives answered, "Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous." I love that word. They are vigorous. It means lively in the Hebrew. You got a hot, lively mom? I know I did at times. She was lively and give birth." before the midwives arrived. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And even the midwives who feared God, He gave families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Father God, we come to a text where it seems that the world is out of control. It seems that evil man has had their way. And Lord, yet amidst that time, you had a plan. You impressed upon a mother the importance of a baby boy and not that she'd be able to keep this boy for a long time but would release this boy into the hands of the very people that wanted him dead. Lord, what an amazing story. Hollywood couldn't even put uh, this together on their own and that's why they steal this story and use it to make movies of Lord, what an amazing story of a mother's love, of a mother's life and a mother's legacy of sacrifice. And Father, I pray that that the moms in this place, that every uh, person in this place would sacrifice where God calls us to sacrifice. And Lord, if it's our children, if it's our job, if it's our uh, gifts and uh, the things that we have in this world, Father, that we would give them happily knowing that you are in control and that you have a plan because that's what we see today in the life of this sacrificial mom. So Lord, we give this to you and pray that we can live in light of it and as a result of it, honor you with our families and our children so that you'll receive glory and honor And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I wanna just take a couple moments and I wanna share some ideas that, that I pulled from the text this morning in regards to the life of this individual. The first thing that we see in our text this morning is a mother's life. Write that in your outlines there in your sheet that was provided, a mother's life. Verse one tells us that there is a Levite woman who is married to a Levite. It doesn't even tell us who this individual is. It just says that she was a Levite woman. Now we know that the author of this passage is Moses himself. And we know that uh, Moses is the baby that we're talking about. At the end of our text, it tells us that they've named this baby Moses. Now I think that that is something uh, quite uh, um, consistent with a boy talking about his mother. Doesn't even name his mom in the story. Now think about that. Mothering, if you will, is a tireless task that many times gets no recognition at all. Here's the son, Moses, this great man who wrote the first five books of the Bible and when talking about his mother calls her a Levite woman. Seems odd, doesn't it? But how true is that when we treat our mothers? I I probably would do the same thing because I don't honor and respect my mom like I should. And we see even the great Moses, for whatever reason, leaves out the name. Now he does get the names down when he talks about the genealogies in Numbers 26.59. Now we learn something about this woman. We learn her name. Her name is Yaakoved. It looks like Jochebed, but it's Yaakoved. And she was married to a man named Amram. Now they had two other kids, Aaron and Miriam, so it's this nice little family of five people. Moses is this new baby that is born in the group. Now we know that this name that she had, Yaakovah, was a name of great significance. Write that down. She was a mother who had a name of great significance. I looked up the the name Yaakovah, and what does it mean? It means Jehovah, my glory. Jehovah my glory a name that says all that I glory in everything that I live for is Jehovah if she lived up to half of what her name meant and she was a wonderful follower of God and I would think that all of us especially as moms all of you moms should should try to be Yaakov kind of moms that Jehovah is your glory that all that you do, that all the running around to this practice and to that musical event, to all the grocery shopping and all the things that you do, the band-aiding, if you will, of the busted-up knee, that all of that would be done to Jehovah your glory. Our world would be a far better place if all moms throughout the world would pursue the glory of God as they minister to their children there wouldn't be the kind of struggles that we have. There wouldn't be the kind of abuse when it comes to children that we see on the late night news if we lived with the idea that God is our glory. The next thing that we see in our text, once we understand that her name is Yaakov, we learn that Yaakov had lived during a time of slavery. A time of slavery. Look at chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. It tells us that uh, the Israelites are in Egypt. Well, when did they get there? Aren't Israelites supposed to live in a place called Israel? How did they get to Egypt? Well, we know in the book of Genesis that Jacob has 12 sons. And the 12 sons we see, of course, we learn about one very special son. And the son is um, uh, the, 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 the Joseph. Thank you not feeling the greatest right now, so I apologize. Joseph, we know he's given a coat of many colors. The brothers don't like that. So what happens to Joseph? Joseph then is uh, heading out to give his brothers uh, bread and supplies while they're out serving uh, as shepherds and taking care of the flocks. And what happens? They say, you know what? We're tired of Joseph. He's the special one. We're tired of him getting all the special treatment. We're tired of hearing him having all these dreams about how great he is and how low we are. So Let's get rid of him. And one of them says, let's, uh, let's kill him. And another one says, you know what? No, let's not kill him. Let's sell him to some traders who are passing by. And let's pretend that he died. Take the uh, robe that he has, rip it up, put some blood on it, and make sure that our father thinks that there is a, um, an animal that has killed him. And so what happens to Joseph? Joseph then moves along and he heads out because these Ishmaelite traders, the text says, takes him to Egypt. And for about 15 years, he goes from jail. He goes to working in a man named Potiphar's house until one day he has a dream while in jail uh, that uh, is able to, uh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh has a dream that he is able to then uh, communicate the meaning of it. That there's a great time of famine coming to Egypt. So what does uh, Pharaoh do? Pharaoh says, man, if you can interpret my dreams and you can tell me what's going on, then I should have you in my cabinet. And what does Pharaoh do? He raises uh, Joseph to be prime minister, second in command of all of Egypt. And they go on this massive uh, storage of food during the seven years of good because there were seven years of famine coming along. And so what happens? Well, just about that time when the famine gets at its worst, Joseph's brothers come looking for food. In fact, the Bible tells us that many Israelites during that time came during that time of famine to get food to Egypt. So here we have all these Israelites coming. They've heard that there is someone in, in the prime minister position who is, is uh, loving and caring for outside people because he himself is an immigrant to Egypt and they come flocking for food and then they begin to live around there and hang out in Israel. The distance of time between Genesis, the end of Genesis and Exodus chapter one is 400 years. So they've long forgotten about Joseph. And new prime ministers have come up. New pharaohs have come up. And the text says that they did not remember Joseph. And what begins to happen? And the Israelites start having babies and lots of babies. And they become the ruling party, if you will, of the people. And the Egyptians say, wait a minute. This is our country. This is our uh, nation, It's not about the Israelites, it's about the Egyptians. We gotta do something about them. And there are some things that take place. There are three facets of uh, slavery that take place. First of all, in verse 11, there's forced labor. He says, you know what? Put slave masters over them and make them work for us. And that's what they do. Next we see there's oppression in verse 12. It says that there was uh, oppression that they worked them ruthlessly and oppressed them. But even amidst all that, the Israelites continued to prosper. The Israelites continued to have children and they multiplied and multiplied because they became far more numerous. Finally, the Pharaoh says, you know what? That's not gonna work. So what I want you to do is I want you to take some midwives and I want to start, if you will, getting rid of babies, especially the boy babies, because uh, you ask why the boy babies? Because uh, where's an army come from? During those days, they didn't send their daughters off to war, they sent their sons. So let's get rid of all the boys so that as they grow up, they don't get this idea that they could take over our country. So what happens then? It gets worse because she lives during a time of slavery but also she lived during a time of slaughter. A time of slaughter. It tells us that Pharaoh goes to a couple midwives, Shipra and Pua. And she says, all right. Anytime you hear about a baby being born, I want you to go and I want you to get over there. And as soon as the baby is being delivered, one commentary said that the, the idea was is to take the umbilical cord of the child as the baby was being delivered and strangle the child as the baby was coming out. That way, when the baby came out and was delivered, it could be shared as a stillbirth and not a murder that was taking place. But God had another plan. And he says to Ship and don't do that. Let them live. And then that's where they go back to Pharaoh. And they say, we couldn't do it. They're far too vigorous for us. They're lively women, those Israelites. And what happens? Pharaoh gets upset. It says, God blessed these two women and gave them families of their own in the text. But then we see that Pharaoh gets so upset. He says, you know what? If that's not gonna work, then here's my decree. You have a boy baby, you take that boy baby and you toss it into the Nile River. What that would have meant, you know, no mother would have done that. So, what would have happened during that time is the armies of Egypt, I'm sure, would have come and they would have taken the newborn baby and they would have taken it and tossed it into the Nile River. This is a time of great slaughter. This is an incredibly horrific time in the life of a mother, but it gets worse. Look at what our uh, text tells us then what happens. She gives birth. She gives birth. It's one thing to know that other people are losing their babies. It's another to be pregnant and then to give birth. And as as she is looking and seeing who the baby is, she hears the words, it's a boy. Just less than a month ago, my wife delivered our third boy. And to think that someone would have said, I'm sorry, so sad, but you need to give up that child because it's a boy. What a horrific thing for Yaakov to have to have gone through. So what happens? Does she give up the baby? No, we're going to learn that in a moment. But why doesn't she give up the baby? Look at what our text says in uh, chapter two, verse two, she gives birth to a baby, a boy. And it says that she saw that he was a fine child. This mom saw that her son was special. She saw that her son was special. Now you would think that that would be the case with every birth. Every one of my children are special to me. If I had a hundred more, all of them would be special. Every one of them would be great. I would be proud of every one. But it means more than that. As we look at what the text says, uh, different translations have different statements. One says that he was a beautiful child. That's in the NAS. NIV uses a fine child. I like what the King James says, a goodly child. you've ever called your child, you're a goodly child. I never heard that as a kid. There's no doubt that they thought these kids were beautiful. There's very few parents that when a baby is born, they, they look and I, I haven't heard from my parents whether they said this or not, but when they look, at that is one ugly baby. You don't hear that very often. They say, it's beautiful. And it could be one of the ugliest babies you've ever seen. It's the most beautiful to mom and dad. It's a gorgeous baby. Well, it says that they thought this baby was a fine child. We have that kind of pride for our children. I, I used to hate seeing bumper stickers. Don't be offended if you have one, but... Uh, uh, my, my, my child is an honor student at such and such high school. And then one day, I, I was on my senior year spring break uh, trip down to Florida with uh, a group of students, and I found one that I took to my parents, and it said, my child beat up your honor students at their local high school. I said, my parents can have that up with pride. That's more, you know, parents have to be proud of something. And if it's not academics, might as well be thuggery, all right? (laughs) There's no doubt they thought this child was special. But the book of Hebrews gives us an understanding a little more about it because Hebrews writes about this. The writer says this is important. And in the hall of faith, what does he write? He says that Moses was no ordinary child. He was no ordinary child. This wasn't just some normal child. There was something greater about him. Jewish legend tells us that when Moses was born, he got up, he walked, he talked, his face was so radiant that the room shone with a sunshine like never before. Well, we know that not to be true, that Moses was just like any other baby, but this is the kind of sense that the Jewish people had of this great baby named Moses. Moses. Josephus said he was one of the most beautiful babies ever known to mankind. Of course, they found Charlton Heston to play his part. He's a good-looking guy. They had to find someone good-looking, but I believe that they're missing what it's saying. One commentator said that uh, what was written in some books of antiquities, that uh, what had happened was Amram and Yaakov had 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 a uh, visit by an angel. And we don't know this to be true. This is all extra biblical understanding and that they were told not to let this child die because God was going to use him for great things. the Bible doesn't talk about that, but we know the Bible has done that before. For whatever reason, we know that they saw this child as something special. I will give you what my interpretation is outside of all the Jewish understanding. And that is, is that they knew that God gave children as a gift from him. And that life was precious to any mom and dad. And we weren't to just throw it away. We weren't just to get rid of it if we didn't want it. Or if a king told us not to have it. So what did they do? They know that a child is a gift from the Lord. And they said, we're not going to give this thing up. It's a beautiful child. It's a wonderful child. We're going to keep it. And I believe they, they believe that there was potential of all children. What a great reminder for moms. Don't ever think that your kids have no potential. I don't care if they bring home all Fs. I don't care if they struggle through the times of life. Don't ever give up on the potential of a child. If I was to have told you how many times I was told I didn't have potential, I remember my mom at times would cry at the schools when they would bring him and say, we don't know what to do with that, Tim. He just won't stop screwing around. We don't know what to do with him. There's something wrong with him. He's got some uh, uh, wires detached from him. He doesn't speak proper English. He makes weird noises. We don't know what to do with him. And my mom would come home and she would cry and she'd say, Bill, what are we going to do with this child? And then I'd go to church and I'd get kicked out of Sunday school. And and there was no rest for my parents from all the issues that I had. And I look back and I'm so glad my parents never gave up on me. They always said, you know what? You are a little strange. (laughs) You're not the goodly child that we would have wanted. But you know what? God's a God of grace and He's a God of mercy and we're going to see that played out. And some of you today are giving up on your children. Stop doing that. Let God give the potential to your child and you believe it with all your heart that your child, he may not be a doctor, she may not be a a scientist or, or some great thing from a worldly perspective, but she's great and He's great in the eyes of God. They saw potential in this child. He was special next thing we see is a mother's love, a mother's love. There's love in two things that I see in Yaakov's life. First of all, she had a love for God. The reason why I know this isn't from the text in the book of Exodus, but we know it comes out in the text of Hebrews. It says that they did this. Moses's mother and father did this. They saved Moses's life by faith. They did not follow the decree of Pharaoh because of faith, which tells me if they were doing things by faith, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please who? God. So if they were living by faith, what were they doing? They were pleasing God. That means that there's some love there. They loved God and they wanted to please him and they were doing what God was calling them to do. They had a right relationship with God. You wanna be a great mom? Don't worry about the time you're spending with your kids. Don't worry about how to uh, bake better cookies and and, uh, tie better shoes. Don't worry about that stuff. You get right with God and let God figure all the other mothering out. Get right, live by faith. Please your father in heaven and it'll all work out in the end. They had a love for God, it says. But then we also see with the sacrifice and what she does, that there was a love for her children. She loved her children. Now, does it say in the text, I loved my children, says Yaakoved? No, but we see out of the sacrifice. We see out of the risks that she takes that she loved her kids. And we see that in a couple different ways. First of all, we see that this love enabled her to resist Pharaoh's decree to resist Pharaoh's decree, look at verse two: She is pregnant, she has the child, she finds out it's a boy baby. she gives birth. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. How do you hide a baby for three months? How do you do that? How did they go about living? Think about that. where you have a child, and what do we do? We take pictures of the child, and we will let all the world know we've had a baby. And yet Yaakov and Amram, they can't do that. So they hide the child for three months. I wonder if there was the the clatter of horses and, and chariots riding up to their home in Egypt. And it was, hurry up, get the child somewhere where they won't see them. And literally hushing the baby, which is an impossible task. How do you quiet a crying baby at a moment that you know that if the baby cries and blows the cover of the family, that you would lose the baby and yet, what does Yaakovet do? It says that she resisted and she hit him. What a reminder for moms today. The world's going to tell us as parents and especially as moms, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to go this way. You need to go that way with child uh, uh, nurturing and care. You need to make sure you do this with your child. You need to make sure they're taken care of in this way and that But I would tell you, if it doesn't line up with God's word, you tell the world, forget it. I've got a better uh, mothering uh, advice from my father in heaven than I do from the world. And she resisted the decree, the ways of the world to follow God. Next we see she responded with a creative plan. She responded with a creative plan. Look at verses three through six. It says in chapter two, verse three through six, but when she could hide him no longer, she couldn't do it any longer. I wonder if within that text, there's this idea maybe that something happened. Maybe there was a close call. We're not sure what happens, but she finally comes to the point, I can't do this any longer. We're going to lose our child. What are we going to do? So it says she makes a basket for him. She coats it with tar and pitch and she places the child and puts him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. It's a creative plan. She builds a boat for her baby, little baby boat. And what does she do with this? I, I love this. I'd never seen this before, but she follows Pharaoh's decree, but with a twist. Have you ever noticed that before? It's the first time I ever noticed that. Pharaoh says, throw the baby in the Nile. She says, all right, I'll get the baby in the Nile, but I'll do it my way. Can't get in trouble for that. I'll put the baby in the Nile. And that's what she does. But she makes sure a couple things take place. I wrote this down. She made sure she gave proper protection. She builds a boat that is going to enable the baby to live if it's placed into uh, the river. Think about this, a three-month-old baby placing it in one of the largest rivers in all the world. And yet she protects it. She builds something that's going to protect it. Next, we see that there's a proper uh, supervision given. She says, all right, we're gonna place it in the river. She places it in the, uh, in the reeds of the river, which means it's on the banks of the Nile, an area that isn't probably very turbulent, but very calm. And then she says, all right, Miriam, Moses's older sister, I want you to keep an eye on him, supervise him. We're putting, we're putting all our hopes in, in that this boat will stay afloat. So make sure that it does and make sure it goes where it needs to. So Miriam goes, we don't know how old she is, but when she goes and she watches the Bible, there's a proper supervision and then she gives it to a certain person. The text gives us this idea that it was the plan to get it to Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know if in the Cairo times, it had been said that Pharaoh's daughter was looking for a baby it doesn't tell us that uh, Pharaoh's daughter had made it known to anybody that she wanted to be a mother, but for some reason couldn't. But it seems in the text that the person that Yaakov had wants the baby to get to is Pharaoh's daughter. And he sees, she sees it come to fruition. Well, what does that teach us? Very quickly, it teaches us protect our children, supervise our children, And make sure that the person or the people that are around your children are the people that are going to encourage, love, and take care of your children. Folks, we live in a world world that there are evil people. We live in a world that desire not to treasure children, but to make children targets. And I want to encourage you not to just lock up your homes and have no outside contact, but make sure, please make sure, and I can't encourage this enough, that you protect your children, that you supervise your children, and you know who your children are hanging out with. Don't let them go into kids. And I know this is very practical. Don't go, let them go into other people's houses and not knowing where your children are at. We've got a girl in our neighborhood who, who just kind of finds herself meandering through the neighborhood. And I, I pray for her, seven years old, and she's riding her bike on, on a major highway. And I'm appalled by this. And her parents are busy doing other things. And what happens? I pray for her. Lord, protect her. Protect her because her parents aren't supervising where this child is going. She comes into our house, walks right into our house. Her parents don't know us that well. Walks right into the house. Myriads of things could happen. Protect your children. Protect them. Supervise them. Even as they grow older. A creative plan. Next, we see she raised her son for a season, a season, a season. The text tells us she had Moses for three months. She puts him into a river. And the text says that Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, it's a Hebrew baby. I need someone to nurse him. They didn't have infamil back in the day. Got to go find a nurse. And Miriam does what mom tells her to. Hey, I've got a woman who has who can nurse the baby for you. A Hebrew woman, I'll go get her. She goes and gets Yaakovet, brings Yaakovet. And uh, what does uh, Pharaoh's daughter say? She says, hey, will you nurse her? I'll pay you to do it. So nurse her. The text tells us that until he was older. We have an idea from Jewish history that it was probably about four years. The average Jewish child nursed for four years. I know I'm hearing groans from moms all over this place. Four years of age. And then was handed back off. To Pharaoh's daughter. Think about that for a moment. If you had four years with your child, some of us take for granted the time that we have with our children. And we think we've got all the time in the world, but my friends, we don't. At best, you may have 18 years to spend with your child in the formative years of their lives, but some won't have that long as all. Some will lose a baby in infancy. Some, as my mom did, will lose a child in their teenage years. We never know what a day might bring. And what the text tells us is she raised him for a short season. Don't take for granted your children. Make sure that you are pouring into them every day as if it is your last. Do it with all your heart. The next thing that we see is once she raised him for a season, she released her son to God. Took him to Pharaoh's daughter, it says. That's a heavy statement. I'm sure if Jocheved would have been writing it or any other mother wouldn't have written it like Moses did in verse 10. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. That's all she says. What that must have been like. And and notice this. We have no idea whether Pharaoh's daughter knew that Jocheved was the true mother. I'm sure she didn't because there was no way they would have allowed that kind of connection to take place, but it's not shared. And the pain and the suffering that was given to Yaakov as she hands the baby off yet again. She did it at three months of age. Now she does it somewhere when he's a toddler or a young child and she hands him off. I know there are some here today who are coming to the point of releasing their children into the world, releasing their children to college, releasing their children to adult jobs, releasing their children to spouses, to their own homes. And you know, don't think that it's time to release your child when they hit 18. Some of us are coming to graduation right now. Even in the, Bidal family, we're dealing with graduation, preschool graduation. And I'll tell you, we release them on day one. We give them over to God. What did these people do up here? I don't know, you know, some have said, you know, I don't like this idea of dedication. Uh, when the church I grew up in, there was a lot more pomp and circumstance. We baptized babies. Well, we have biblical reasons why we don't baptize uh, infants. But dedication is more. I hope you don't think it's just this rote pattern of, well, I'll do this, and yes, I'll do that. Folks, it's more than that. What you are dedicating as parents to doing is you're saying, I'm giving, as it was said, all worldly claims back to God. This baby is yours, God, it's not mine. So God, if you ever choose to take this child, I give it to you. If you choose to take this child to the far reaches of the world to go share the gospel, I give you this child. She released her baby, and so should we, not at 18 years of age, but from day one. And every day, release our children into the hands of Almighty God. So, what did she get out of it? The text tells us that she got paid. She got paid. Look at our third point this morning. It talks about a mother's legacy. The text tells us that Pharaoh's daughter says, I'll pay you. I wonder what she got paid. I was studying uh, for this and I looked up uh, Forbes magazine. I remember an article that had been written and Forbes magazine did a salary comparison of all the different occupations that we as individuals, as human beings have. And Forbes magazine put at one of the top ones being a mother. And they had put together with all their economists and all their statisticians that a mother deserved a yearly wage of $134,000, $121. So what does that equal out to be? They said that that equaled out to about 90 hours of work a week for a mother. 90 hours a week. And we're the ones as fathers that are told we overwork. I think our moms need to take some time off. And I know what that means. That means dad's going to have to work harder. So I thought, you know what? I'll look and I'll see and find out, did the fathers have any pay? Now there's no statisticians or any economists that say a father's worth anything. <laughs> but what did Yaakov had get? I want to close this out with a couple things. Yaakov had got much more. You don't get paid as a mother. We couldn't pay you enough even if we could uh, give you money. But we see that her faithfulness contributed to a legacy. First of all, the saving of Moses' life. She saved her son's life. Though she could not have her son, she was able, because her son was in a prominent place, do you think every time that Pharaoh brought out the family that Yaakov wasn't there? That she wasn't in the crowd and quietly saying, there's my boy, there he is. Look how, how he's grown. There's no question that the exploits of Pharaoh's daughter were made known to the nation. And Yaakov was sitting there saying, wow, look at what my son is learning. The Bible says that he was educated and he was full of wisdom because of the Egyptian education that he was given. What a legacy. The legacy was there because she trusted God and she saved her son. When you're a mom, Your life is all about preserving the life of your child, protecting it, caring for it, seeing the health and advancement of your child. The next thing she saw was that her children's service to their master. Her faithfulness no doubt contributed to this. We know that Aaron, the oldest boy, became a priest. He was a leader in the uh, uh, nation of Israel. We know that daughter, Miriam, would one day become a prophetess, one of the most well-known women in all of Israel. And of course, we know that Moses became the lawgiver, the leader of Israel, the one who talked with God, the one who was given the law of God and the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible. I wonder what Yaakov's scrapbook looked like. Think about that. These kids did great things for the Lord. In fact, this family is the most mentioned family in all the Old Testament, All three of these children, fine children who serve the Lord. Why do we serve as mothers? Why do you do what you do? Not for the pay, not for the honor, but for the legacy that you will one day have as your children serve their master. Finally, we see it's a story worth mentioning to future generations. The book of Hebrews, and in fact, in the book of Acts, Stephen tells the Sanhedrin about this story. And he says, Moses' parents did something great. And it was a story that would be mentioned and mentioned time after time from generation to generation, even thousands of years now that we have uh, watched as time has gone by. And we speak of this woman, Yaakov, and her child, Moses, that she saved. Let me ask you something. As a mom, are you serving? Are you doing all that you can, not for what you're going to gain today, but what you're going to gain in future generations Many of you know that my father came from the nation of Iraq, lived in Baghdad until he was 16 years of age. They left because there was ethnic cleansing beginning to take place because uh, of the British moving out of their mandate in Iraq and uh, all different kinds of tribal groups taking over. And a story is told in my family's life early in the 60s. My great-great-grandmother, Nana Marta, shared a story. There was fear and trepidation amongst the family. Many of my uncles worked for the CIA in Baghdad as operatives of what was going on in the field. And they said, it's going to get bad and it's only going to get worse. And we as Assyrians, minorities in this country will lose our lives if we don't get out. And my Nana Marta's listening and she was a quiet spirit, they said. And she says, why do we talk like this? Do we not have a God who is our refuge and our strength? Do we not have a God who says he will protect us from raging armies around us and they said there was a hush because Nana Marta didn't talk very much and she prophesied that day she says I see a day when my family will gather together in a place where there is no fear but there is celebration and you know what all of Nana Marta's family now resides in America and you know what a quiet spirit of a mother can change the world around us and Yaakovet was able to do that. And it's shared time in and time out to generation after generation. Don't live for the now moms. Live for what is going to come. The final thing that I have written down is that even though, even though Yaakovet was a model mom, her children suffered at times because of their mistakes. Remember Aaron, the great priest? If you've watched the 10 commandments, you know he's building calves of gold for the people of Israel. What a bonehead. Why would he do something like that? I wonder if Yaakov was still around going, Aaron, what are you doing, you knucklehead? Don't do that. Listen to your brother and the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. Don't do such a stupid thing. How about Miriam? Later in the story of of Moses and Miriam and Aaron, we learn that Miriam gets upset because Moses has married a a woman from another country. And she doesn't like the new wife that Moses has. So what does she do? She starts gossiping about Moses and saying, Well, does God only speak through Moses? Of course he doesn't. He speaks through all of us. And God strikes her with leprosy. I wonder if Yachoved was around for that. Miriam, be quiet. Miriam, shut up. You're going to get in trouble. What happens? She gets leprosy. And of course we know Moses, 40 years of age, sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and he gets angry. And what does the text tell us that he does? He murders. I know that you're out there, moms, and you're serving the Lord and you're faithfully doing what God has called you to do. And you're sitting there saying, I got no legacy. I've got nothing. My kids are running wild in this world. And I will say, That's not just, it's not just a reflection of your bad mothering. It's, it's not about you. It's about children who are doing things that are wrong. But you know what? I hurt my mom in a lot of ways. I hurt her. You know, there were so many times. I remember a time I was singing, and so many, and we don't have enough time. But I remember my freshman year of high school, we were at a Christmas uh, uh, musical and I was in the choir. It was an easy A, sorry, Bob Abel, but it was an easy A if you were in choir. And, uh, and so I was in choir and I remember I was bored standing on the platform, you know, and there was a lot of people and my job was to entertain the people, Right. So I thought it would be funny if I stepped down from the platform, and if you don't believe me, talk to my mom, step down from the platform and start helping the director direct on a bet by the other baritone voice in the choir. And that's what I did. And I remember I turned around, I thought everything was funny. And people laugh for a little bit, but I look back and my mom was in the third row of the bleachers and she's crying. Not the first time my mom cried, okay? She was crying, I broke her heart. And I've told you, I've broken my mom's and my dad's heart many of times. And a lot of people said, you know what? They're never, he's never gonna make anything of himself. And I stand as a businessman. I stand as a preacher of God's word, an elder in a local church. I stand as a father and as a husband, not for my glory and my renown. Please don't assume that. But I stand here as a legacy that my parents never gave up on me. Don't give up on your kids, even if they are troublemakers don't give up on them. Don't label them. Don't compare them to your better children, if you will. Don't do that. You give them to the Lord and you say, Lord, I wanna be a mom who lives out a life of love that produces a legacy that honors you in all that I can say and all that I can do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word, the opportunity to speak and to honor those moms who have come uh, and have been a part of our body. We thank you for the moms that are a part of this group because of what they've done, what they continue to do for our families. Lord, many great men and great women have all gone back to who their mother was and said, I am who I am today because of God working in my mother's life. And I repeat that over and over again. So Lord, first I pray for our mothers that they would be encouraged, that their hearts would be enlightened on how to glorify your name as they mother and as they take care of the children and the husbands in their lives. Lord, I pray for the young women in our midst who one day will be mothers, that Lord, they'll even begin now to plan and prepare their hearts for the job that you have for them. And Father, I pray for those children and Lord, I pray for the children who, uh, who find it difficult to honor their parents. It's too busy. There's too much going on that they would pursue with all their hearts the ability to honor their mother as we know Jesus Christ did with his own mother. And Lord, I pray for those wayward children, those children that have run amok. I pray that for, uh, for their own lives and for the sake of your name, that they would be brought back. Lord, that you would bring them back to a place of forgiveness and a place of restoration that would enable a mother to look with great pride in the work of grace that you have done. So Lord, we give this to you and we thank you for the mothers you've given us. And we thank you for the impact they've had. In Jesus' name, amen.